Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey folks, welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. I think we have a exceptional, exceptionally special treat today for for a couple of reasons. Vika Victoria, who is my guest today, touches on two things that I think underscore a large part of what the Anthony Gordon Show is all about. And number one, to critically look at the the values and the criteria that are sort of imparted by pop culture through a critical prism and question whether what we're hearing or seeing is necessarily a the truth and or b the type of life advice that we should embrace vika is someone who's traveled traveled the, the world has had a multiplicity of experiences that gives her i think a unique prism into looking um, at life um, from a unique vantage point and the second reason that i think it's a tremendous pleasure to have Vika with us today is that at the end of the day, successful podcasts need to create what we call theater of the mind in the mind's eye of the listener, being that most people experience a podcast through listening. It's important that the person who is communicating is able to narrate in a in a certain fashion, in a story type way. And it would be safe to say that Vika has accolades at, uh, at the highest level as a, uh, as a world-renowned storyteller. So with that rather uh, heavy drum roll, big welcome, Vika. Thank you. It's a total joy to be here. So I think just to, let's put, put this in context for the listeners. Um, if you would just tell, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your humble beginnings coming to the States and some of the seminal moments that in your journey that got us here today. Absolutely. So I was born in the former Soviet Union during quite an anti-Semitic time. And thanks to that, we were able to uh, immigrate to Italy, where with the help of the American consulate, um, we fled to America under religious cause. So very humble beginnings. My mom scrubbed toilets and cleaned apartments. Um, wow. My dad was a refrigerator repairman. They gave up their whole lives so that their daughters could have a better life in America. And that stays with you. Um, sure. it, it's the backbone of everything that I do is understanding the sacrifices that my parents made to give me infinite possibilities here. Sure. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's such a blessing because... 
I know that I wouldn't be who I was if I got to grow up in Kharkov, Ukraine. And what I got to become is a woman I'm deeply proud of. Uh, we grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Georgia Tech. As kids, we were competitive ballroom dancers. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is great because, because to me, the soul's highest expression is dancing. Yep. It's not yep. words. Um, and, and then I graduated Georgia Tech into the worst economic recession of our time. Uh, unfortunately, my father decided to opt out of the family at that point, and he left um, with a woman that he was having an affair with. And so my mom and my sisters and I began our own journey. And I decided to buy a one-way ticket to Vietnam um, instead of going to therapy. I, I felt that what I really needed was perspective. Mm -hmm. And what I got was the perspective of how much I had to be grateful for. I spent six months at age 21 when most of my classmates were freaking out about not being able to get a job. I was backpacking through Southeast Asia, through Thailand, through Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, and jumping into orphanages and just seeing a child have nothing. And especially in Cambodia, I went to this one orphanage that was specifically for handicapped children because Cambodia has the highest UXO ordinance of any other country in the world. Um, and most people don't know that more bombs were dropped and hidden bombs in Cambodia than even Vietnam. Did so not you, know that. Yeah. So you've got an entire generation debilitated without limbs. And when you see a three-year-old jumping towards you with a smile on their face, you yeah. recognize how much you have to be grateful for. Um, can, I, can I just take a yeah. footnote? Because it's one of the things that I try and do with the listeners um, in the interest of straight talk mm. and getting a sense of how um, where, where a person's coming from. Your father having an affair, leaving, what did that do in terms of your sense of trust, whether men can be trusted, the sense of betrayal and the fallout from quite a traumatic thing during a yeah. formative time in your life? Totally valid. My dad was my best friend. Wow. And so this wasn't just the loss of a father. It was the loss of a hero. It was the loss of an icon, the loss of an elder. Um, and what that did is it killed this notion of unconditional love. Uh, it also made me feel deeply disposable, that I was unworthy of him fighting for me. Makes and um, and so it, it was really challenging. Um, attachment theory prevailing, the relationship that a child has with their opposite sex parent is deeply influential in creating the narrative mm -hmm. through which they see all opposite sex. Um, so I have been intentionally single for six years mm -hmm. because I wanted to rewrite the narrative. And I started actually gathering men in cities all over the world in this underground men's dinner salon series to change the way that I told the story of men in my life, that my dad was the exception to the rule, not the rule itself. Meaning that they're of men with integrity, they're men exactly. that are loyal, they're men that, okay. Yep. And, um, and so I'm just really mindful about who I date now and building trust and friendship and emotional intimacy before building physicality and sexuality mm -hmm. is the, the only way that I feel safe to operate. Just because I know the, the readers, the, the listeners are probably at least thinking this, your father sort of went on, went on his horse, galloped off into the horizon. Do you have a... Was there a, yeah, was that goodbye? Was there? Yeah, it was a, it was a, a really sharp death. Um, and it was probably the greatest heartbreak of my life. Uh, oh. Second only to my grandfather's death uh, two years ago. Um, there were a series of emails that were exchanged 
once a year that were really cruel, mm -hmm. um, where he told us he didn't want us to have his last name anymore, which oh is also gosh. why I changed it. And, you know, now that it's been a decade, I look back and I'm like, hurt people hurt people. He must sure. have been in so much pain. Yep. Um, and so the first time I ever saw him was two years ago, and it had been eight years. Unfortunately, it was at a funeral. And it was just a, a really sad day. And for eight hours, he did not acknowledge my existence. He did not say hi to his child in a room of all of our relatives. Unbelievable. Um, and so that also felt like the second betrayal. Because when you get rejected as a 21-year-old kid, it's one thing. When you get rejected as an adult. As an a, adult. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, Dad, I've become a woman. I have purple hair now. Like, I've traveled <laughs> the world. Don't you want to get to know me? And so there is this little kid inside of me that just, I deeply miss my best friend. I miss fishing with him. I miss beach volleyball. Um, but what I am proud of is after his heinous behavior, I called him up and I said, I'm coming down to Atlanta and I think we need a coffee. And we sat down for three hours. How and recent, how recent is this? This was two years ago. It was a brutal experience. I think everybody should have a brutal experience in their life to really understand what love means. Because while I thought my dad had killed this concept of unconditional love, what I realized was in fact, he taught me it because I love my dad so much, even though he has chosen to walk away from me. That's very um, and I think about him all the time. I think about him every, every time I see the moon, because I remember our fishing trips overnight mm -hmm. at Lake Lanier. So, so my dad is one of my greatest professors. And that goes back to what I teach, which is the two curious mindsets. If you can see change as evolution and pain as a professor, you will radically transform your quality and depth of life. Repeat, I'll tell you why I'm asking you to repeat that, because it definitely has been um, part of the theme of some of the other guests that we've spoken to, namely that one of the erroneous notions that's imparted by pop culture is that a happy life means a pain-free life. Mm. And, I, you, and uh, I mean, you're giving me the, this body language, which clearly it flies in the face of everything we both know. Speaking to people who are successful or great people or people uh, that people really look up to, there's no one I think that you or I or anyone uh, who's intellectual artist would look to as a, a teacher or as a great person who hasn't been through tremendous vicissitudes. And perhaps it's, it's more accurate to say that pain is the price you pay for success or pain is, the, is certainly a, a stepping stone to actualizing and, and flexing certain mu muscles that otherwise would lie dormant. Sure. And I think Buddhist philosophy has also helped me understand when we stay in pain too long and that becomes the identity of suffering versus when we recognize that we are in pain and observe that there is some wisdom to be gleaned here. So the Buddhists believe that much of our suffering is chosen and suffering is the root of all attachment or attachment is the root of all suffering. So when we are attached to an outcome and it doesn't happen, then we're disappointed and the suffering begins. So would you say the notion that pain is guaranteed, but suffering is an option? Yes, exactly. Everybody's going to hurt you. 
Everybody. They might not even mean to. People are going to hurt you because they can only see life through their lens. My dad actually thinks that we abandoned him, which is the most preposterous thing. But he probably genuinely believes genu- it. That is the story of his mind. And we spent three hours going back and forth. And finally, and this is the tattoo that I have, love greater. You've got to love people greater than their pain, than their hatred, than their story. Because I really think love is this life force energy that conquers everything. It's it's irrational. Science can't explain it. And it stems from within. If you can't love yourself, truly love yourself means radical self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Radical self-acceptance, the precursor to that is self-awareness. If you know not who you are, how can you possibly see and accept and love? Got it. Clearly, you are a person who has gone through introspection who's philosophized, who's looked critically at at life and at values. One of the catalysts that really launched this whole uh, show was as a person who's involved in public speaking and involved in speaking on campuses and at retreats, I I was privy to a lot of pain. I think most people, you know, have been through disappointments and pain. and, And I think there's some, there's certain forms of pain that are not, that are avoidable and, and, and some not. The one that is avoidable, which I'd like to focus on, is that is when people are proverbially drinking the Kool-Aid and embracing values, criteria, and role models that are disseminated by a very powerful media and pop culture. And part of what we're trying to do is dispel that uh, so that our listeners will have the clarity to, to you know, live a more meaningful, purposeful, and happier life. As someone who's done, obviously, tremendous introspection, you're a very, you know, well-read and smart person. If you had the, which you do right now, if you have the microphone to the target listener being the primary, the millennials, can you highlight uh, a few points or life lessons that you, that you would want to impart? Um, erroneous notions that you think that they entertain or harbor that are not only not accurate, but if they continue to pursue certain things that they're doing, they are likely to, you know, hit hit a brick wall. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that what you said, hitting the brick wall is the key. You don't know who you are or what you're made of until you've reached a point of total and utter cataclysmic breakdown. Because in that breakdown comes the breakthrough, comes the rebirth, and all the bullshit stories of your past disintegrate so that Mm -hmm. the truth can come forward. Um, and that situation usually happens out of our control. There's, there's some sort of vice that, especially in the millennial generation, you do too much of. Um, and, and if you take that as this great aha moment, great, you've got a shot at becoming the highest version and actualizing your potential. If you don't heed that warning, what you will do is, is throw yourself into a shame spiral that is so visceral and disgusting to yourself that you won't even allow yourself to be loved by anyone else because you can't love yourself first. And so I think in the millennial generation, if I could impart anything, it's um, the, the student mind is the most important mind. And it's not something that just 
finishes when we graduate college. Right. I see every single person as a visiting professor in my life. I've traveled the world for years at a time. And the conversations that I have with strangers in Ubers, um, in trains, in planes, just being open to the fact that there is another human being here who has decades of wisdom. And if you just had an honest conversation, you might learn something that could forever change the trajectory of your life. It, it, firstly, I think what you said is outstanding and is is um, is spot on. And if you need outside corroboration, I think the greatest commencement, commencement speech, in my personal opinion, was given, I believe it was the year 2005 um, at my alma mater. It was given at Harvard University where the person who was about to impart the commencement speech ascended up the podium and just paraphrasing basically said that I had failed in the most catastrophic way. A marriage which had disintegrated. I was poorer than a church mouse, but I was. Com- but with that complete exposure and needing to, to dig deep, I found the, the raw and untainted essence of who I was. And I had a daughter who I loved, a dream, and a typewriter. And so J.K. Rowling, Mm. went on to pen uh, Harry Potter. And I think one of the things also reminds me of the words attributed to Winston Churchill, that in life almost everyone at some point trips over the truth, but sadly most get up and keep running. Yeah. Why do you think there's such a, there's such a need, specifically in the, the younger generation, to think that s- exposing pain or showing vulnerability um, you know, it is so taboo. So this is the generation that's growing up with the internet as Mm -hmm. their security blanket. And when your entire life is publicly visible, it becomes filtered. It loses its authenticity. Uh, Facebook and Instagram aren't making billions of dollars because of people sharing their truths. They're making billions of dollars because of people sharing the falsified notions of reality that they want to believe are true so that people will buy products, capitalism will prosper. It's, It's so deeply psychologically ingrained in us to fake it till we make Mm -hmm. it because while we tout that authenticity is the most important thing um we have celebrities selling tummy teas right you know and uh, and it just until we take back the power of social media and decide that social media could be an encyclopedia for sharing wisdom we are going to see a continued trajectory of higher depression rates Mm -hmm higher suicide rates than we've ever seen before. I was hoping, and this wasn't scripted, I was hoping that, that uh, somewhere in our narrative that this sidebar would be raised because I look at two things. I look at social media and I see in many ways Instagram becoming a platform to show the world this perfect life which does not exist, which is the furthest thing of uh, this is certainly form over substance. It can only engender jealousy or um, most people don't wish well for others. And then as you well put the the depression and the the spiking in, in uh, teenage suicides, part of which is, you know, if you don't get that like, that becomes 
so much part of your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and I think the also the lack of barriers where people now have a forum to look back at, you know, ex-girlfriends and boyfriends where wounds should have healed, chapters should have been closed, is, is pretty dangerous. You know, what is there, do you think there's there's um, a way to co- somehow curb that, curtail that? Is there a solution to that? It's, yeah, it's a really good question because you've got the most powerful people in the world, the engineers behind this, um, crafting smarter and smarter technologies to keep us addicted. So the the way forward is personal sovereignty, is creating boundaries that I'm going to go on Instagram to post something that is inspiring and wise, and I'm not going to spend 30 minutes scrolling through stories because as Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Amazing. So, so, you know, and I've gone through this myself and the way that I think about it is before I post something, is this inflating my ego or is this in service to my audience? Is this providing something that is tangible to improve their lives? And if all of us saw that as social media usage, we'd be much happier as a society. I think you, I think you're dead right. And I think that someone who has been involved professionally with some very prominent celebrities and well-known people. Why is it, I mean, somewhat of a rhetorical question, that the majority of the people that at least I've been privy to, and I think it's a reasonably good sample group, are miserable people, and they live a life of hypervigilance. Um, they're not at peace. And I think that they're living um, a reactive life, reacting to how they can placate these fans, their own... You know, the, the, the domestic relationships are often, um, you know, lack real substance. It scares me that this is, that an entire generation is growing up with, you know, role models that are more substance than form. And where you're almost rewarded by showing people this utopian ideal, which doesn't exist. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I think what we're missing right now is the traditions of the tribe. We're missing things that anchor us and give us roots. And so one of the things that I work on with clients is cultivating relational wealth. You know, we've got financial wealth advisors that help us strategize on our finances, but nobody's helping us strategize on the quality and depth of our relationships, which is ironic because the longest running study that Harvard ever made about happiness followed a group of men for 75 years and found that the single greatest qualifier for your level of happiness is the caliber of your relationships. And so we've got to start there. And it's the micro habits that will filter out into, into bigger ones. So, you know, who are the people that have been there for you through the metamorphosis of self? Those people are the ones that you invest in. And then you get really clear about what your values are so that when you meet a new person, you almost do this sinking of, are these values compatible? For me, those values are integrity. Those values are compassion and curiosity. So when I meet other people that are cut from that same cloth, I feel seen, I feel safe, and I feel like, oh, we could have a friendship. And I think what's missing right now because I also work with people that have accumulated a whole lot of financial wealth, they're missing meaning. Yep. The meaning comes from sharing your life with those that you revere, respect, love, and want to share the awe that is the miracle of being alive, the incredible privilege of living in a free country. 
the fact that you have food and water, and then you get to go hang out with your friends. And so the meaning is really derived by feeling proud of yourself. And I think as a generation, we don't feel proud of ourselves. Why? Because we have access to every vice under the sun and our brains are hijacked with psychic warfare by technologies that make the vice and the technology compete and amplify each other. So the thing that we're missing is traditions of grounding, mm -hmm. traditions of family, traditions of simply eating meals together. And this is where religion, I think, is going through a metamorphosis. And, and the best parts of religion, the things that have anchored people for thousands and thousands of years are those traditions. So if you're not a religious person, how can you create a religion inside of yourself? What are your guiding philosophical principles? And how can everything that you do be guided by your values? We're missing values as a society. I think very, very well put. And I think one of the things we said before we were on air is I, I think I've been privileged to have some success in the, um, speaking circuit as a public speaker and being asked to speak at, at events and retreats. And, and I think if you look, if I drill down and think, what am I saying that's resonating that I'm being asked to speak at the, these events? And I think it's the same with you. I think that you tell, you, you tell it like it is. Sometimes the emotions are raw. I think it's amazing to the audience that people like you and I in different different contexts perhaps are able to articulate what other people are thinking or articulate um, the kinds of concepts they wish other people would impart. Just this last uh, weekend, I was spoke at a, an event coinciding with one of the Jewish holidays. We spoke about relationships, about marriage. And I just said, you know, I gave my so-called 10 commandments of, of relationships, one of which is that there is every single relationship is going to go through tough times. And I ratcheted up somewhat and said, is most marriages that I've been privy to in, in speaking and counseling people is most healthy marriages have been through a period where one or both of the spouses have said, either I married the wrong person or this is, I've got to get out of this. And that's normal. The Cinderella Hollywood is, I think, very destructive. And I think part of the growth that a person needs to go through um, is, is to get away from this, this perfection model and dig deep and realize that it's not about me, it's about another person. How do I become more altruistic and, and selfless? How do I um, try and make the other person happy, even if there's certain things that you know are not within my what I would consider doing? And that's how people go beyond themselves. And I think that's a mature relationship. I don't know if that's the message being imparted to this generation about healthy relationships. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the message being imparted to this generation is it's one step above the Disney movies. Yeah. And it's about 50 steps behind where we need it to be in order to have real loving human connection. Um, when I was working as an ad exec, I had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my boss every week to look at progress over the accounts. Yep. And meanwhile, I was in a three-year relationship that was falling apart. And I thought, why don't I have a one-to-one -one meeting with my boyfriend every week to look at the highs, the lows, what could be improved? 
Because a relationship is the greatest work that you'll ever do. The notion that you could take two separate entities that have been raised by two different cultures with two different value sets and merge them together with ease is totally false. So we need to start getting excited about the discovery of self through the lens of another because our relationships are not here on accident. Our relationships are here to wake us up, to make us conscious to our shadow, to our dark sides, and to make us conscious to our light. Uh, One of my clients said, how do you compliment a woman? And do you just say she's beautiful? I said, no, never tell a woman she's beautiful. How you really compliment a woman is to listen to make her feel seen and to reveal something about her that she might not even know is true about herself. And if we can approach every relationship with that level of reflection, bringing joy and delight to everyone that we meet, what we'll see is we all evolve and grow in relationship. Humans are not made to be islands. Well put. Um, In the interest of time, I just want to try and bring this together for the few more questions. You're a very... I'm not, I'm not just saying this. I think you know that I wouldn't be saying anything to, you're a very articulate person. You're a very, um, a person who's taken time to reflect. Do you think that you would have, have developed these tools that are now being used to help professionals, executives, your clients, would you have been able to develop and crystallize these ideas if you yourself had not been through pain? Absolutely not. Wisdom is experience learned. I've read books um, and I haven't read a lot of books that I probably should have read. And what I come to find is when I see a quote, I'm like, oh, I already thought that. And it's because there is a universal knowing. Nothing that I'm saying is original. Everything that we speak has already been in some way, shape or form documented from Krishnamurti to Marcus Aurelius to Socrates and now to you. We're Every single one of us is a modern day philosopher. We just haven't tapped into the potential, the awakening of self, of our intellect marrying our soul, of our spirit marrying a higher power. I think I think that's that's very much part of the message that I that I impart when I speak to audiences. But how is it that my, people like myself and you, who clearly both have been through disappointment, pain, failure, can sit here? recording a podcast, and I think both of us feel that we are better, not bitter. Mm, great distinction. How is it that neither of us are victims of life? Because and, and neither of us was handed a silver spoon. Yeah. In, in a little that I, we discussed before, I, I don't think either of us you know, grew up in, uh, in, in the royal castle. <laughs> it's a choice. It's all a choice. Yeah, I see on. it as, so life, when you get born, you get born onto the most massive ski mountain you've ever seen. And sometimes you'll go down a double black and you'll fall and, you know, hurt yourself. Then you'll take a safety blue and then you'll get a little more comfortable. So you'll take a green, but we're all making it down this mountain. And so it's always a choice to sit there in the snow and cry or decide that you want joy again. So get back on the skis and go wee and keep Mm -hmm. going down the mountain. It's beautiful. One of the things just to have you tie this in a, in a, and the red ribbon that I mentioned on one of my talks is how much we learn from little babies. Because mm. when a little baby falls, he doesn't sit down and start ordering Prozac and saying, who pushed me? He bounces, he or she bounces right back up and keeps going. Totally. And also one of the things I think we also learn from when a baby wants something, they, they, they shout. They shout out when we, I think that people, I think you said it very well, that people who don't have some transcendental relationship or don't have some sense of, 
there's a bigger picture. Um, I think they, they land up living a existential crisis because okay. it's very lonely. And the, we also have to know that we're a hundred percent responsible for a hundred percent of our actions and feelings a hundred percent of the time. So saying that I was born in these tough conditions or, you know, my dad did this playing victim mode does nothing but disempower the awesome power that you have to build the life of your dreams. I am going to pay you one of the biggest compliments that I could pay a person <laughs> completely unscripted and uh, sincere is I was blessed, blessed, blessed by the mother that I had. Um, just a, a wellspring of wisdom of a person who is real, sort of took Viktor Frankl's premise of, you know, living a, a meaningful and purposeful life. Um, it's so refreshing to find someone like yourself. You remind me of my mother. Mm. <laughs> um, wow. There's a lot of wisdom. <clears throat> there's, a, there's, um, there's someone who clearly has been through a lot and has come through, the, navigated through the vicissitudes with tremendous tools that I think can help a lot of people. I definitely want to have you back at some point. You're, you're, you're terrific. And I think the amazing thing that, you, that you've learned to do is to teach a lot of the wisdom that you've developed through a narrative of a story. And I think at the end of the day, we're all writing the story of our lives. And the hope that I have in hosting this show is that when we come to the final chapter and we look back, that each and every one of us has written our own bestseller. Vika Victoria, thank you for being on the show. This is Anthony Gordon. Thank you for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.